Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 161. The art of movie making seems to get thrown away. The cinematography is gone, and the look becomes a little less important. You lose all the memorable images. Everything looks like it's being shot at night with a security camera. Rob Zombie. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Film Convert. Film Convert, I used heavily on creating the cinematic look I got on my film, This Is Meg. It helps you give your digital video footage a beautiful cinematic look of film instantly. Whether you're shooting on a GoPro, a DSLR, a RED, an Alexa, a Black Magic, it doesn't matter. Film Convert has created specific camera profiles for every, almost every camera on the planet so it can adjust to your footage. Film Convert gives you the power to create amazing looking cinematic images with just a couple clicks. And of course, because you guys are part of the Indie Film Hustle tribe, you get 10% off Film Convert by using the coupon code HUSTLE. But you can try this software for free, guys. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Film Convert. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Film, C-O-N-V-E-R-T. Today's show is also sponsored by Masterclass. And if you guys are looking for really great online courses taught by literally masters, you've got to check out Masterclass. If you head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Masterclass, it'll take you directly to classes like Werner Herzog, Aaron Sorkin, David Mamet, Steve Martin, Shonda Rhimes, Dustin Hoffman, and Kevin Spacey teaching acting. It's crazy. I've taken all of the courses I just talked about, and I've learned a ton from these masters. So head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash masterclass. So today's guest and I have been playing tag for the last six months or so. We've been trying to get, uh, I've been trying to get uh, Ryan Avery on the show and we've never been able to get our schedules right, but we finally got our schedule set up and got him on the show. Ryan Avery is a very inspirational guy. He is one of the co-founders of Vedra Cinema Lenses and I am a big fan of these lenses because like Anything else I'm really a big fan of, it gives power to the people, gives power to the filmmakers, and gives good quality, brand new cinema glass for a very affordable price. Almost uh, probably a, a quarter of the price of what 
you should be paying for a for glass of this quality. But what I really wanted to talk about to Ryan about was not only about his glass, but the journey of how he built this company up, his mission about why why uh, he does what he does and why they drew the company itself and its core mission to help filmmakers and cinematographers get really good affordable glass how they started a kickstarter campaign asking for 50,000 bucks to to make the prototypes and they got over a quarter of a million dollars and of course if we're going to have a lens expert on the show we're going to talk about lenses so if you are interested at all about knowing and understanding how a lens is built what a good lens is what you're looking for to buy when you're buying a lens this episode is definitely for you. It's a really great companion to my interview with uh, Duclos Lenses, uh, Matthew Duclos, episode 147, which you can find at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 147. I'll put it in the show notes as well. And we will be going deep into lenses and how to build a company uh, and how to just follow your dream. You know, he had a uh, he was in a you know normal job and he decided to open up his own company. And go for it. And he's doing well. And, and and I think we can definitely find inspiration in Ryan's story without question. So without any further ado, enjoy my conversation with Ryan Avery. I'd like to welcome to the show Ryan Avery, man. Thanks so much for being on the show, man. Thank you. Uh, it's We've been going back and forth for what, six months now? <laughs> It's been a long time. Yeah, a lot of back and forth. We finally wrangled our schedules and here we are. Absolutely, man. So thanks so much for being on the show. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, I did an actual big post uh, on the Vedra lenses, oh God, almost a year ago now. And it went viral. It went really crazy. And I think, is that the, that's how you, is that how you kind of found me or did I find you? I don't even remember. It's been so long. I, you know, I think, I know I read the article and then um, I obviously appreciated it. So we shared it on our various, various major channels because it really was a good summarization of the, of the mini primes. And um, I'm sure we connected one way or another through there. So it's great, great to be here. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, supporter of anything that gives power to the people. Uh, and uh, these lenses are uh, definitely in that category without question. So let's talk a little bit about how'd you come up with the idea? Well, first, before you even get, how'd you come up with the idea? Tell me a little bit about yourself, your background. Uh, I'm assuming you're a lens geek. So uh, <laughs> tell me uh, a little bit about how you got started in the business in general. Uh, yeah, I worked in camera stores, like selling, I traded used lenses and, uh, for a number of years. And I also worked in several camera stores, including Kit's camera, which is now gone Ritz camera, which, um, now exists only online. But when I worked for them, they had like over 2000 stores. Oh God, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, then I worked for Sammy's camera and, uh, I took some time off to do some, uh, full-time rock climbing and other things in the years in between. And, Went to law school and did all kinds of stuff, but ultimately I kept getting pulled back to photography and cinematography. And so um, I left Sammy's camera in 2006 and I started working for um, uh, Schneider Optics as their um, sales manager. And through that experience, about that time, a couple years later, Schneider came to me and said they wanted to develop some cinema primes and those became the Schneider Cine Xenar 3. Originally, Cine Xenar 1, 2, and 3, I provided the design specification for those. So I talked to cinematographers and then uh, translate that to – not literally translate in the English to German, <laughs> but translate, in, t- translate marketing speak um, what, what uh, people are excited about. Um, filmmakers are excited about seeing in lenses, communicating that to the engineers – 
And so we created the Cine Xenar 3s ultimately. And then after that, we did the Xenon full frame primes. Um, I helped with the design specification for those. And uh, after that, I left Schneider in 2013 and uh, we decided to start Vedra. So that's what we did. It was a little bit of a project with me and my friend Jim Zhang. And, uh, and we decided, hey, let's make some small lenses. I told Jim what to make three or four revisions later. Um, I still have the very first, I should show somebody those, what, what Vedra mini primes could have been to show. Oh, exactly. you've got to, you got to, you got to send some pictures. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. We got some pictures of the early prototypes now that Vedra is uh, a full, full-time real lens company, um, mm-hmm. the beginnings. So, um, but anyway, we arrived at the design of the mini primes. We manufactured them first, which is not something normally people do. So we took a big leap and we went on Kickstarter and, Everybody locked onto it. We raised uh, quite a bit of money. I think almost three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you guys had an initial goal of fifty. Yeah, we had an initial <laughs> goal of fifty. We wanted to. We really only needed fifty thousand dollars to pay for some final tooling and some cost overruns that we had done in development. And it turned out that Kickstarter ended up being a huge advertising platform as well, which yep. wasn't something we were expecting. We really just legitimately needed fifty thousand dollars to make it happen, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we raised uh, almost three hundred. So I was what, great. What was what was it like when you started getting that kind of reaction from the public, from 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 our our filmmaking public? Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. We got a huge amount of support. Um, folks like um, Adam Wilt, who writes for Pro Video Coalition, um, mm-hmm. or did time anyway. And uh, some other people jumped in and did some pretty extensive tests comparing them to things we weren't intending to compare them to, like ultra primes. Mm-hmm. And um, it it really was well received. And a lot of my friends, I have a lot of friends in the filmmaking business, independent shooters, um, directors of photography for major feature films all across the board. And all of them jumped out and bought these lenses. So and it's continued since. And the story has developed in new mounts and new lenses and all kinds of fun stuff. Now, um, and what made you ha- come up with the idea to even go down this road of, of trying to compete in the cinema lens, cinema prime world? Yeah, as well, I remember I did, um, it, although Schneider is definitely not the largest brand in the motion picture optics business, it is a major brand. And yeah. we did, we did a lot. Of, I learned a lot at my time at Schneider. And when I left, I said, you know, I, I was actually trying to make these um, uh under a different brand name for a number of years. I've been working on this project since, uh, since I'd had had the idea for it since 2010 actually, oh, but, wow. but it, the, the timing was not right. There weren't any cameras at the time in 2010. You got to remember that was, I think the Canon 7D was kind of the <laughs> height of it all or the oh five, you know, there was, there wasn't a lot. Red, on. red was just coming out. <laughs> Yeah, well, Red, yeah, I was actually at NAB 2006 where Red was launched. So I was there the day of Red 1, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and I watched that develop. And by 2010, they were well in the game, but there yeah, wasn't yeah. anything in that low price point. The GH, you know, the GH4, I don't think was Mm-mm. quite a thing Black yet. Black Magic yeah. Pocket or even Black Magic. Yeah, so, so that's where we kind of had the idea. And, and really what it was about wasn't so much the world doesn't need another lens brand. It was more like I thought – I've noticed all these people. I, I'm big at the time. I was a heavy user of Twitter. I've kind of transitioned over to Instagram and Facebook in more recent years. But mm-hmm. um, at the time, I was really heavy on Twitter, and I saw a lot of people posting pictures of adapters. And as um, uh, to mention Adam Wilt again, he said in one of his articles he had a Blackmagic pocket camera uh, quote 
hanging for dear life off the back of a 70 to 200 Nikkor. <laughs> I said to myself, and I, I just said to myself, like, man, that's the case. Like all these huge lenses, you know, they're great lenses. I mean, you got to remember at the time it was like the CP2s were the sure. thing. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, man, this, this is, these lenses are great, but they're really big and there's this tiny little optic. So I said, let's just take the whole thing and shrink it down. And part of doing that was, was making them mirrorless, um, because there's differences in lens designs as to the physical size. And so if we made them really what we call short flange or mm -hmm. mirrorless design, it would make them super compact. And, um, I looked at all kinds of stuff. We looked at rehousing things and we realized really quickly that rehousing existing optics wouldn't work because um, when you rehouse photo lenses, you still get breathing and image shift and other things that a still optic just isn't designed for. Mm -hmm. So it really became apparent to us that we had to do a ground up design. So we made a whole new ground up design for the first four focal lengths. And uh, so that's kind of where the idea came from was all these big lenses or big lenses on tiny cameras and said, why not tiny, tiny lenses for tiny cameras, <laughs> high quality, uh, tiny lenses on, on, on tiny cameras. Uh, and what were some of the main challenges of actually creating, you know, the first Vader lens? Uh, the biggest challenges I think were, were getting the physical uh, communicating to the, to my, um, engineering partner, Jim, that, you know, what exactly we needed because he's an extremely talented optical and mechanical designer, which is actually very rare. Um, it's very rare to find someone that can do both optics and mechanics. When cinema lenses are made inside companies, there's usually a team of mechanical people and optical people, and they talk to each other mm -hmm. and make it work. But Jim did both. So the biggest challenge for us was communicating to him exactly the look and details, um, you know, the little fine details that make Vader lenses completely different that most people aren't aware of. Like the fact that you don't have to shim the lens. You can just slide the focus scale to your appropriate setting. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, things like interchangeability of the mounts uh, within the mirrorless system, um, you know, the common 80 fronts, all these things that people just don't really think about. And that was our biggest challenge was getting all those little details in there for the price that we wanted. Mm -hmm. Vader lenses really should cost $2,000 a piece. There's no reason that they shouldn't other than the fact that we decided that we wanted to give something to the filmmaking community and not make it so much of a profit driven business and more about, um, getting just enough to get it out there and get real tools into people's hands. And that's what we've accomplished. So. That's, that's very admirable, especially in a world where people are more profit driven than anything else. Yeah. I mean, you know, one day we're probably going to have to raise the price of Vader lenses just because it was becoming an increasingly larger company. But at the moment, um, we are able to maintain that, that spot. So now is as good of a time as ever to get a Vader lens. Um, <laughs> right before they, they may cost more. It's a real thing. And eventually businesses get to a size where Vader is now. We've sold um, thousands and thousands of lenses. They're used major feature films all the way down to our bread and butter, which is um, obviously independent filmmakers. So um, you know, we're really excited to continue to provide those tools. So. Now, can you tell me, uh, okay, or can you tell the audience, because I know there's a couple of, uh, a few novices out there who probably don't know a lot about lenses. Can you talk about the difference between a cinema lens versus a standard photo lens? Yeah, the, the key, the key differences are, are a few. Um, number one is obviously the mechanics, um, which some people have addressed with rehousing. I have good friends at rehousing companies like GL Optics and, um, um, even Duclos lenses, you know, Matthew does some stuff and those are where you take the mechanics. So the mechanics is the first thing, the 0 0.8 module gear to accept a follow focus or a wireless follow focus. Mm -hmm. Um, 
or even just provide that. A lot of people obviously pull with their gears by hand and mm -hmm. that provides that tactile experience that you know your hand isn't going to slip because you've got that gear in your hand. Mm -hmm. um, so the gears on the iris and the the um, the stepless iris where there's no where it's a smooth iris and then the gears on the focus. Um, no are clicking. Very, right. Yeah, and then in that mechanics is um, the degree of focus throw. So you need at least preferably around 200 and 300 is more appropriate cinema mm -hmm. um, focus throw, which the major lenses have. So when you say focus throw, so I just kind of like break it down for everybody listening. When you say focus throw, it means like on some of the, on some photo lenses, uh, when you focus, it's very quick. Uh, so you just like kind of move a couple inches and you're, you're focusing where you mean throw is like, you really got to move. You have a long turn to get into focus, so that means you can really dial in focus and have a better a better kind of cinematic focusing experience. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, and still in still photo, it's all about speed. The optic, the glass has to move as quickly as possible to get to a, a set focus point that either the camera or the operator has determined, and so they use a very short focus throw, um, a very fo a very short movement. But um, where, for example, maybe a half an inch would represent the entire infinity to close focus. But if you're shooting motion where you're trying to get that slow, gradual pull, it's really, really hard to do unless you have those that full. So the Vedra gives you almost two turns of the barrel just to get there. So you can you can really do a nice, slow, beautiful focus pull with a with a proper cinema mechanic. Um, and that's true of any of the most of the rehouses. Some of them they'll do mechanics to try to stretch that out a little bit from the base photo optic. So um, that's what we're talking about. Can you talk a little bit because you, you've mentioned the the term infinity a lot? Can you just tell us the basics of what infinity focus means? Yeah, infinity focus is when um, basically the um, the depth of field is mitigated to the point that it everything is in focus um, and you're focusing on the far horizon or um, what the lens sees or what the sensor is capable of seeing as the far horizon. So, so it's it's that point where everything in the foreground all the way out is in focus um, depending on your aperture setting which directly plays into it but that's what infinity focus is and then sometimes if you can't get infinity focus that becomes a problem yeah and infinity focus is really um, key because it's the hardest one to get on a cinema lens um, it's all lenses they the sensor has to be the the rear element or the elements have to be an exact precise distance from the sensor and if it's too if it's too close to the sensor then um, you can't achieve infinity focus, and again, if it's too far. So it's a very precise calculation, which is related to the lens mount. Now, speaking of mounts, uh, I asked you off off uh, off air about this, and and that was when I saw the Vader. Was the very first thing I I said. I was like, oh, why isn't it for an EF mount? Uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about why the Vedras in their current state cannot be on an EF mount? Yeah, and, and again, it's it's tied to this concept of, of being able to achieve infinity focus, which is directly tied. That's the distance of the elements to the sensor or the film plane. And in this particular case, um, we're talking about flange depth, which is which is basically the mounting point where the where the lens meets the camera. The distance from that to the sensor is different for different types of camera mounts. So for example, uh, we, we divide it into two categories, short flange and long flange. So short flange is what Vedra lenses are, which are Vedra mini primes are short flange designs. 
um, at, and those ones have a flange depth of 20 millimeters. So the distance from the back of the lens to the sensor is about 20 millimeters. And on the, um, PL and EF mount cameras, it's like 52 to 54 millimeters. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge difference. It's almost double the the distance. And so how that comes out in Vader lenses and the reason that mini primes cannot be PL or EF mount is because there's 20 plus millimeters, nearly 25 millimeters of space in there that has to be closed. So the lens would have to be either um, uh, 20 millimeters further away from the sensor, which means that it wouldn't even be mounted to the camera and we'd have to have all this extra metal to close that gap. Mm -hmm. Or if you put a Vader Mini Prime on a PL camera, it would have to go inside the camera so far that you couldn't even reach the gears if we've made an adapter. Um, and then again, that's even infinity focus. So, so it's, it's not that we can't do it. It's, it fits in some cases it may not physically fit inside because you have to go inside the camera body to make a short flange lens. Mm-hmm. You have that rear element 20 millimeters from there, which means it would have to be all the way inside the PL mount, which isn't really possible. So, but would, um, a, would a, fo- but a, will a focal reducer help at all? No, again, because you have to – focal reducers work on the concept of taking a long flange like a PL and EF mount design mm-hmm. and adapting it to a short flange camera. So the metal that's closing that gap is the adapter and then there's optics inside of there which are doing other things. Mm-hmm. But um, So that's why it's not possible to use a focal reducer with mini primes. Mini primes are made only for mirrorless. There are no adapters possible. Um, and we sell hard mounts, um, for a very low price on our website that go from, uh, two different mirrorless mounts. So like C mount, micro four thirds, Sony E mount, mm-hmm. uh, Fuji X mount most recently. Those are all short flange designs, but EF and PL just are not physically possible with it. It would require a whole new series from Vader to do that. So, uh, and is that in the works? Yeah, we've been working on a, a um, an EF and PL series for quite some time. It is probably the number one email we get behind <laughs> be, behind what why doesn't this work on EF and PL? The next question is always, well, are you working on a new series? And and the answer is yes, we've been working on one for a while. Um, however, we've had some significant challenges, and uh, um, we're considering uh, exactly how to move forward on that. So one way or another, there will be a Vedra. EF and PL series at some point, uh, when that is, is still up for debate. Now, <laughs> now if you, now if you put a EF mount, I'm just asking if you take the micro four thirds mount and just get an adapter and throw it on an EF, what would happen? Probably wouldn't physically fit because the lens would have to be inside of the camera body to work. So uh, it wouldn't work. But- so you wouldn't get any image. Yeah, you would. Well, if you if you just made an adapter where it just went on there and you didn't worry about it, infinity focus, you probably would only be able to focus at a minimum distance of maybe or a maximum distance of maybe 10 feet or 15 feet. So in other words, you could never get that horizon shot where everything is in focus. It would only have to be close focus or interviews or something like that. All right, so there, it, it would be a world that you couldn't make it work, but it just wouldn't be using it at the full extent of what the, this, the design was for. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't be able to do your wide establishing shot unless you happen to have something five feet in front of the camera or ten feet in front of the camera kind of thing. Fairly um, limiting for a lens. Yeah, exactly, which is why we don't. <laughs> 
why we don't make it. So. <laughs> Got it. Now, can you talk a little bit about the Micro Four Thirds format in general and what kind of a game changer that was? Because it was introduced in in the like 2008 or something like that, 2009. Am I missing? Yeah, it was a still photo. It was a still photo. We have to thank our friends at Panasonic for that. It was a still photo camera, and then um, they said, "Well, hey, let's put some video in this thing." And so I believe. Well, there was there were people using the GH1, I remember, with firmware hacks and different things. But the GH4 was really the first 4K camera that came out from them in that footprint. And um, the advantages of the Micro Four Thirds system is it costs a whole lot less. The chip is smaller. It costs less to manufacture. Therefore, the camera costs less to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, you gain advantages in um, workflow because um, you can you you can use wider lenses and get um, a little more field of view out of less expensive optics. Again, it just falls through the chain. The sensor is less expensive. The image circle is smaller. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the lenses are cost less to manufacture. Um, and then you also gain depth of field because um, obviously with a five, one of the reasons that people really locked onto the Canon 5D Mark II in the beginning is because um, it you could produce a very shallow depth of field. An F, F2.8 on a photo lens on a Canon 5D will be, you know, a very pleasing shallow depth of field look. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that actually works the other way in video. If you're doing documentary style shooting or, or a number of styles of shooting where shallow depth of field is not possible because you're in a run and gun type scenario, that's where the smaller sensor actually plays strengths into that because it gives you a more shallow depth of field. F2.8 on a, on a micro four third sensor versus a Canon sensor, much of the background is in focus in most situations. Whereas in a bigger sensor, it's actually out of focus. So, so it depends on your style of shooting and what you're looking for. Now, with um, now, if if I would put uh, the Vedras on a Blackmagic Cinema, am I going to get the full focal length of it, or is it get cropped? Yeah, so we get that. That's the um, you're hitting on all the questions we get every day um, mm-hmm. by dozens. And um, the first one is people always ask me that question, and the answer is focal length is focal length. A 50 millimeter is a 50 millimeter the world around. Mm-hmm. The field of view that you get out right. of it is different, and that's okay. what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. What we're used to shooting, the standard reference is 24 by 36 full frame 35. So like what the Canon 5D has, mm-hmm. or um, uh, some of the other like Sony. A7 cameras in Mm -hmm. full format. Mm -hmm. Those are 24 by 36. And that is because people were shooting still photography and that was the format that they used. And they're used to seeing that field of view. So what a normal lens, what we consider a normal lens, if you just take your hands and block out your peripheral field of view, Mm -hmm. you're seeing approximately somewhere in the 40 to 50 millimeter range field of view. Mm -hmm. And that's what people are used to seeing is that 40, 40 or 50 millimeter focal length creating that that degree of field of view. So if you take that same lens, but you use a smaller sensor, like a micro four third sensor, or even smaller, like on the pocket camera, mm-hmm. which is you get a small slice of that field of view. So you just take that little box that's the size of the sensor. And if you imagine that your hands blocking out your peripheral view of field of vision are the 24 by 36 sensor, the full frame sensor, mm-hmm. if you take your hands and move them in about 20 or 30%, that's going to be about what you see of the same scene. So it's just the sensor is taking a smaller slice of that scene and therefore the field of view is smaller. So a 50 millimeter, we speak in terms of equivalency. Mm -hmm. So a 50 millimeter would be equivalent to what an 85 millimeter would look like or similar. Um, I can do the exact math. It's um, (laughs) about 0.88 times. So, so if we have a 50 millimeter, it's actually about um, 144 millimeter 
on a 5D. So if you took a 144 millimeter lens and put it on a 5D and then you took a 50 millimeter and put it on the pocket camera, it would be the same field of view. So got it. it's a little confusing, but at the end of the day, it's all about field of view. So a 50 mil is a 50 mil is a 50 mil, but the sensor but the field right. depends right. on the size of your sensor and they talk in crop factors. So, so it's roughly the, the five D sensor, the full frame sensor is roughly 2.8 times um, larger than the pocket camera. So you have to multiply your focal length to get the same equivalency. That this is, this, this is why I didn't do well in math. Yeah, all you got to know is, I mean, we actually have a new tool coming to Vedra.com that's going to show people visually exactly what that means So, um, to help people understand. But at the end of the day, the smaller the sensor, the wider the lens you need to get the same field of view you would get on a full-frame camera. Got it, got it. Unless you're with the the micro four-thirds format, with the mirrorless format. Yeah, there's multiple mirrorless formats. The pocket camera being the smallest, and then um, you know the micro four thirds being. But, um, I'll be, but I'll be honest with you, man. I, I mean, I'm I've become a huge fan of the micro of the the, the pocket camera, um, and I know everyone's going back to going to forward, going like I want to go 8K, 20K, 50K. But the images out of that little camera, um, if it's depending on the kind of the kind of look you're looking for, is pretty outstanding. And with the Vagers, I've seen the footage. It looks gorgeous. It really, yeah, really he, looks gorgeous. He, we're not allowed to say, but there are a large, um, quite a few large major feature studio films um, that use a lot of visual effects that actually use the pocket camera combined with the Vedra Mini Primes to create that look. Um, because the advantage for production on the high end is that it costs, in their opinion, virtually nothing. What we would consider <laughs> a full setup, they would consider um, camera. Crap, you know, calf services. <laughs> Not even talking D camera. We're talking like you know, Z camera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Way out there. So they add, they'll add ten of those on a shot because they can capture every possible angle and get it in um, maximum resolution. So, so let me ask you a question. Uh, off and it's obviously off the record, but on the record, and you're not saying who and what. But what would they do? Like, if you're shooting a major motion picture, obviously they're not mastering in 1080. They're going to be mastering at probably a minimum of 4K. So, what right. do they do with that 1080 image? Are they blowing that image up? Is it that good that it can blow it up and match it? Yeah, they're they. They, they they have um, resolution. They'll up-res it. Or, but a lot of major feature films are actually finished in 2K, so mm-hmm. um, like for projection purposes. Sure. So um, most of the stuff we're seeing – in fact, I just saw some films yesterday in Hollywood that were uh, private screening. Mm-hmm. And they were shot in uh, 4 and 8K but mastered in 2K. So, I mean, there's a lot of – or not mastered in 4 and 8K but um, – finished in 2k so mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of finishing in 2k going on so those 1080p's still still have a world there because you're talking about 2k at that point and so it's that's a it's, minimal blow up yeah i mean there's a lot of heavy grading and obviously these are used as vfx reference shots so they're just going to be grabbing like a floor or a sky or something and then add, you know, all the robots get added in later so <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh and it's a lot more cost effective than and getting a whole bunch of alexas out uh to do the exact same thing exactly it's it's all about application and and speed of work and angle i mean i know 
some major television shows that use, you know, Sony A7s frequently. And because the cuts are so fast, you know, nobody notices, even though the show is shot on Alexa. For right. I've heard, yeah, I've heard the GoPro, even use GoPro sometime, depending on uh, what you're doing. I'm, I've seen, yeah, I've heard that a lot too. It's it's a yeah. little, it's a different world now than it used yes, to be. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's all about, all about uh, hiding the trick, as they say. Exactly. Um, now, I saw Matt uh, Matthew Duclos, um who was on your uh, Kickstarter video? Uh, what role did he play in uh, the creation of the of the Vedra? Uh, Matthew is a good personal friend of mine, and um, known him for many years. Um, and he, um, I came to him with this idea, and mostly I use uh, I go to Matthew a lot to talk to him about um, uses of the cameras, and because he's he talks to a lot more filmmakers. I spend a lot of time talking to filmmakers, but he spends even more time uh, because of the nature of servicing their lenses. Mm-hmm selling lenses to them. So he told me, you know, some things that he would like to see. And then I just asked him, I said, listen, would you like to be in the video and uh, explain your perspective on, you know, still versus photo optics? And he talked about the mechanics and then some things we didn't talk about earlier in this podcast, but there's other things like image shift and, um, uh, holding image size when you rack focus, um, which photo optics do not do. Yeah, I was going to ask. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll ask, continue your, your train of thought, but that is a question I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll finish that up. But really, um, Matthew appeared out of, um, interest in properly explaining the differences between the optics or at least hinting to it. And, and also his, uh, support of us, um, as an up and coming lens brand. And he really um, jumped in with us and helped us out, but he was not involved in any other way other than he is one of the number one dealers for Vader lenses. Um, Duclos lenses provide some excellent service in terms of focus scale marking and some other features that can be added mm-hmm. to make Vader lenses even higher performance. Um, so that's where Matthew comes in today. But at the beginning it was, he, he liked us, we were friends and he wanted to appear to, to support the brand and see where it could go. So. Uh, now, when you were talking about uh, optical uh, shift, if, if you did, you say yeah, image shift, right? image shift. So when you're doing image shift, like, uh, can you explain a little bit about that problem? Because I know, I know a lot of a lot of filmmakers listening, you know, and it's something I, I asked actually Matthew when he was on the show. I'm like, look, when you are, I've seen this in major major motion pictures. It doesn't matter, two hundred million dollars or. In The Godfather, it doesn't matter. There's this kind of sometimes shift, especially when you rack a focus um, from far to close. And there's sometimes there's that shift. Is that what you're talking about or is that something different? Actually, what you're talking about is focus breathing, which is a a related yet different concept. So there's two concepts we're talking about here. In addition to the mechanics, so it's not enough to buy a lens that just has mechanics and looks like a cinema lens. Mm -hmm. It actually has to have – the features that um, that work for motion image capture, and those are two issues: is uh, image shift and focus breathing. Mm-hmm. They're separate but connected. So image shift happens where if you focus on something that's perfectly framed. Let's say you have a very tightly framed scene where you have like a coffee cup sitting on a on a counter or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. and if you if you um, rack focus, so you go in focus then out of focus. Let's say the shot has something that comes in the foreground. And then you go back to the coffee cup in the, in the background. What will happen is image shift is where the optics move. When you focus the lens, the optics are actually moving. They're not just moving back and forth. They're actually moving small amounts left to right. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with just a um, kind of slop, if you will. That's a bad term. But uh, <laughs> everything in lenses, even photo lenses, is done to a high degree of precision. But, but in photo optics, it doesn't matter if those, those elements slop around a little bit, um, just small amounts, because – 
the image is it's not noticed. You don't go back when you go back into focus. Usually you've reframed or or um, whatever, so it doesn't really matter for still photo. But in video, you see it physically. So what happens is, if you focus that coffee cup in dead center, and then you rack focus to something close, and then you go back to it, that coffee cup can appear to have moved two or three inches to the right or left because it's uh, image shift where the optics have shifted to the left or the right a little bit, and it's created it made it look like the coffee cup moved even though it didn't. So that's kind of the idea behind image shift. Now, is there is there a lot of that in there? Obviously, is no image shift or very minimal in, in the Vedras. Very very minimal in the Vedras. Um, it's even better in higher end optics. It has to do with the concept of telecentricity, which is basically how the light moves through the lens and the way that the elements are constructed and held in place as they move. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is something that's present only in cinema cinema designs because when you're making a true cinema design such as the Vedras, what you get is you um, we pay attention to that image shift and make sure that things return to the same spot um, by by ensuring that the elements do not move because we're not interested in speed of movement, which is something that's very critical for still photo lenses. But in cinema, you're actually looking at the opposite. You're looking to slow things down and make it appear more beautiful and, and fluid as it moves through the image rather than this kind of quick jerky motion, which ends up creating image shift. Now, um, how, uh, how are the lens constructed like materials? Are there any special glass or coating that makes them uh, special? Uh, we do apply our own, um, coating formulation as all manufacturers do. It has to do with the glass type. The look of the lens has to do with the glass type and the glass and the, and the coatings that are selected. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a very special calculation for these. We went for a little bit of a lower contrast, um, more almost vintage appeal while still remaining the 4K resolution. And that has to do with the coatings in the glass type that we selected. Mm-hmm. But we had a unique challenge with Vedra in that we had to hit a certain price point. So rather than have these lenses be um, a little bit better for $4,000, we said we don't really, that's not the poor purpose. The purpose is to get low cost, high quality primes into independent filmmakers' hands. Mm-hmm. So so we made some um, some changes and some some hard decisions and um, so we actually use all spherical elements. They're all kind of rounded. A lot of a lot of more expensive lenses will use aspherical elements that aren't perfectly round to create um, sharper corners and things. But we went with all spherical design with some special coatings, and the result is um, that you can you can almost choose the amount of flare. If you use a matte box or you don't, you're going to get a different look. And um, we made them kind of a variable look based on how much light you let into the lens and and how you use it as a true creative tool rather than just um, that. And as far as construction goes, they're all metal. There is no plastic in the Vader lenses other than the lens caps. Um, they're they're a real solid, hefty piece of equipment. Uh, and um, what kind of flares does does it give you? It gives you. Uh, we can actually get some pretty crazy ones. In fact, there are some reviews out there with people complaining about the flares, but we consider that to be. Um, creative choice. So if you shoot it with no matte box, no shade, because it takes a regular, you know, $10 yeah. through in rubber shade. Sure. Um, uh, if you shoot it without that and you point the sun right down the barrel, it's going to flare to the point of creating a low, a very low contrast. Like if you had a low contrast filter and we could have made the lenses physically longer and eliminated that with a few tricks, but we decided to actually leave that with a shorter, put the elements right up front and leave it there so that you can decide how much flare you want based on how you shade the lens. I actually was at, when I was at Cinegear, I just missed you, but I was at your booth and I grabbed, uh, I forgot what the camera was, but we aimed it at the sun. Yeah, and it starred. It, it was like a star filter. 
It was yeah. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's um, when you stop down the lens, the Vader lenses have um, a variable iris. So it's another feature that we have in them mm-hmm. where the iris appears more rounded at the wider settings mm-hmm. and it appears um, more like a star pattern at the longer setting at the like the T16, uh, T22. So if you really want to um, minimize that star look, if you want to maximize it, then take out your ND filters and just put it on there. It takes regular 77 screw in NDs or a matte box. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to get that um, look, then you leave it out. If you do don't want that look, and you want it more rounded. You should put the iris a little bit larger setting, like T eight or T five point six, and put some NDs on there. And so, what kind? And what kind of bokeh does uh, does the Vagers give you, in your opinion? Uh, it gives you a. It's not the most rounded um, because irises are very expensive, and it's one of the things that would have made them much more expensive. But it gives you a nice uh, round shape at the T twenty two, or sorry, T two point two. We actually limited the uh, Vader lenses. These could have been announced, and we could have marked them as T one point nine lenses. Mm-hmm. And- Probably would have sold better, but the reality is that when we shot them at T1.9 in the original design, they were very soapy looking. Um, Mm -hmm. The 0.95 lenses on the market that are in Micro Four Thirds all are really, really super soapy, low contrast look. And we just decided to mechanically limit the iris to T2.2, something that we get a lot of criticism for, particularly in the Micro Four Thirds format because T2.2 is not very fast in Micro Four Thirds for that shallow depth of field. Mm -hmm. But... um, we decided to go for quality of image, so we went to T2.2, which still gives you a nice, pleasing, round, smooth bokeh, which we have um, present, and it's more noticeable, obviously, in the longer focal lengths, but um, it's there. Now, you, but uh, at, at, when you shoot this wide open, you get a nice, crisp image. Yes. You get any softening, vignetting, or any softness on the edges. That is exactly why we created it at T2.2, even though it's technically a much faster lens inside. Mm-hmm. Um if we delimited it for for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. uh, you would you would actually get the more light in there, but it would not be the same quality. We were going for a certain quality and contrast and consistency, and to do that, we had to limit the T stop to T two point two. Now, the one other one other thing I wanted to kind of point out to everybody is that the the prime the mini prime set all weigh the same, correct? Uh, for the most part, it's we've departed from that a little bit, unfortunately, because the longer focal lengths and our new 19 millimeter is a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. But in general, they're within a few ounces of each other. And the original, um, four, the original four. four or five are all the same weight. The 12, 16, 25, 35, and 50 are all the same size, all the same weight. The 85 and the 19 are physically longer, but the gear position is the same mm-hmm. uh, for a fast workflow. But they weigh a little bit more. So, but mostly um, we have a tons and tons of gimbal users. It's probably one of the number one applications for Vader lenses. Is people put a GH5 on a or a GH4 on a gimbal, mm-hmm. um, like a Ronin, and go for it. So it really helps with that because you don't have to balance and change your setup each time you change your focal length. So basically, I just want to impress upon everyone listening is, you know, a lot of times you see these prices, like, you know, the prices of a lens are $800,000, $2,000, $4,000. There's an immense amount of technology and man hours to get to that point. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, it's the average cost for development of a series of primes from any company can range from $1 million to five, 10 million plus. And you got to realize, and that's just to make a lens that's, you know, four to $5,000. So there's a lot of lenses out there and that represents a huge amount of work from the people that have done that. Um, with Vedra, we did our own investment and then we received future and further investment from Kickstarter and the combination of that, um, just barely made it happen. And, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, it's a pretty, pretty affordable startup. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and we maintain our pricing to be um, as low as it can be. And we will always do that. Even if we change our prices, it will always be the lowest possible price based on the current manufacturing. But there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of glass elements, coatings, polishing, um, you know, and to get that smooth feel because all the Vagers have a nice smooth um, focus uh, and iris feel. It, really an experience of a $5,000 cinema lens or a $4,000 cinema lens in a tiny format. Or tiny size um, for carrying around and shooting. So, and where did the word, uh, where did the name Vajra come from? Uh, yeah. So actually, uh, I can thank my friend Phil Holland, um, who I was talking to, and I said, "Look, man, I got to name this lens company." And I had some names, and we all had names, but at the end of the day, um, he had Vajra. That was, he said, "Hey, you can use Vader," and I said, "Thank you." And um, I, he probably regrets that decision today, as it's become a big. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only but, big because the product is good. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's kind of funny that that was his baby, uh, his name, his baby, and he was saving it for a, a different project. But he ended up uh, letting me use it, and so I uh, eternally thankful to Phil for that. But um, at the end of the day, what it comes from is the Greek word phe, which P H A E, which uh, the root word, which means bright. And so it's a play on words on um, the term bright. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, I'm going to ask you the same three questions I ask all of my guests. So prepare yourself. These are the Oprah questions. All right. Uh, <laughs> what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Uh, probably the lesson that took me the longest to learn is the importance of people. Uh, the people are the reason we do this. And, uh, I invite all manufacturers and really anybody doing anything to recognize that. Uh, and it was a hard lesson I had to learn over the years that people are the most important thing. And so we carry that philosophy into Vedra and other um, businesses that I operate in this, in this um, market or in this industry. And I can tell you that um, we are extremely focused on people at Vedra. If you buy a Vedra lens, I guarantee you there is no other company in the world where you'll spend $1,000 on a lens and we will overnight lenses to you if anything happens. Like we do what everything we can to make sure that you're happy with your purchase and know that the company is behind you and you're supported and it's that focus on people. So that's something for me personally that also carries over into Vedra. So you're not like a nameless giant corporation that uh, if you – and they will remain nameless. But if you say, oh, there's something wrong with the lens, you can't even get to tech support or even yeah. get anyone to even respond to you. Yeah. Uh, I am the CEO of Vedra and even though Vedra – is a quite a large brand now. I still personally answer every single tech question. Um, if you get it, <laughs> you ask a question to Vedra, Ryan Avery is going to answer it every single time. So you can get the guy that actually did the design specification, runs the company, and telling you exactly what you need to hear, whatever it is you want to know. Um, so so yeah. you're a very large mom and pop operation. <laughs> yes, we are exactly, and, and we work very hard on maintaining that. And we've had a lot of opportunities to go away from that over the years. And I've said no; it's just simply not what Vedra is. Um, and if it gets too big, then we're not servicing the people, and then there's no point to it. Fair enough. Now, what are three of your favorite films of all time? Oh boy, let's see. I like any other guy my age. I probably like Goodfellas a little bit too much. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. A Amen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and there's classics like the Godfather films. I always liked some like it hot. I just think that that's, that's a great a, film. It's a great film. And, and, uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe at her best. So I, you know, a little bit of everything, but I'd say pretty much anything. Um, some of the films from the nineties, I think the nine early, early to late nineties was a really great filmmaking time for, for, um, for my generation. And, um, 
you know, the older films, uh, obviously, but I would say those three are good fellas, some like it hot and maybe, uh, um, oh, I blanked on the other one. Godfather. So Godfather. those are the ones that I really like. Yeah. Now so. where, where can people, uh, purchase, uh, Vedras and, uh, where can people find you? Yeah. So you can find us on Vedra.com. Uh, that's our, our main site. If you pose a question there, it will be answered by me. Um, if you, uh, want to use one of our retailers, which we recommend, they offer tremendous value add. Um, we, I mentioned Duclos lenses. We have multiple dealers, but Duclos lenses, B and H photo, Amazon. Um, there's a large number of places, basically any way you want to buy our lenses, there will be a way for you to buy it. And we have a great network of smaller dealers all across the country. So you can get local service if you're in the United States and we have a huge international dealer uh, network. Um, we have some awesome representation in companies like the Nether countries like the Netherlands, the UK, um, Germany, Italy, uh, Japan, Hong Kong. I mean, we have, we have presence around the world now. How, how, how is Vedra being, uh, received around the world? Yeah, so it's interesting. We we actually manufacture our lenses in our own factory in Shanghai. This is not some um, some you know company that's making them. It's actually Vedra making them. Mm-hmm. And ironically enough, China is our smallest market. We haven't had anybody really um, uh, pick those up. But the biggest place that we have people pick them up uh, seems to be Germany and the UK. I think the UK has really. That's in part due to our dealers there in the UK. We have MTF Services that does a great job in both service and sales of Vedra lenses mm-hmm. and UK market from the beginning the Kickstarter was huge I've actually met um, some of our backers in airports in Europe that would just happen to be passing in the night and said oh let's meet up so it's it's really um, a very dedicated group of people in in um, the UK and Germany and the Netherlands and I think that's in part due to our very strong dealers that we have there very cool and if anybody wants to get a hold of you just uh, just a website yeah or you can email us directly info at vader.com I will answer it so. All right, man, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show and answering the questions. And as a filmmaker, I really want to thank you for uh, for putting out such a cool product and such a, giving power to the filmmaker with high-end optics at an affordable price. And I truly do appreciate it, man. Yeah, we appreciate everyone, all of our independent filmmakers and anybody, whatever level you're at, we're here to help. And we really appreciate everything. And thanks for having me on today. Thanks, man. I hope you guys got something out of that. I, I I know I did, and I wanted to thank Ryan so much for uh, being on the show and dropping some some really nice knowledge bombs and inspiration, man. I mean, t- seriously, guy just you know bootstraps himself, uh, goes on Kickstarter and builds up a you know fairly large mini mom and pop shop for lenses in the world of lenses, which are is pretty competitive. Uh, and when things cost millions and millions of dollars to develop, these guys were able to develop an amazing little lens for, you know, 50, 50 grand, 100 grand to get their their prototype up and, and, and try to help filmmakers out is pretty inspirational, man. So I hope you guys got some inspiration from this interview. I know I did. So I'm going to go build my lens now. No, I'm joking. Don't forget, if you want the show notes for this episode, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 161 which has all of the links uh, that we discussed and things that we discussed on the show. And yes, Meg is coming soon. We will be releasing Meg in early August. I'm locking down a date yet for iTunes, but please keep that date open. We are going to be talking more and more about it in July, about uh, how we're going to release Meg uh, on iTunes, our strategies, and what help I need from you guys to break 
iTunes. That's right. We're going to try to break iTunes. And I'll tell you how we're going to do that. <laughs> and I know a lot of you guys have been emailing me and messaging me, asking me, what's the next project? What's the next film I'm doing? What's going on? What are you up to? Uh, and right now I'm still deep in the post-production on that Legendary Pictures uh, show that I did called The Space Program. And we should be almost done in post, hopefully by sometime in July. But I've been preparing and planning my next, hopefully, two feature films I'm going to shoot back-to-back. So stay tuned. And also, by the way, I thought it was really exciting to let you guys know that uh, This Is Meg was at the Cannes Film Festival. Not in the festival, it was in the market. We have a distributor there representing it for international. And uh, we got some interest internationally, which I thought was amazing. You know, So we'll find out more about where This Is Meg will be played internationally other than the on-demand stuff, that uh, the VOD that we're going to be doing ourselves. But I thought that was just really cool that <laughs> this is this is Meg was sitting at uh, at Cannes, you know, and and people uh, and, and and buyers were looking at it. So uh, it's pretty amazing that that little film was an amazing journey, and uh, I'm very very proud of it. So I cannot wait for you guys to see what craziness we did last year, last summer. It's been too long, and uh, I, I want to get it out there as soon as humanly possible. So thank you guys so much. Don't forget to head over to filmmakingpodcast.com and leave us an honest review on iTunes. It really helps out the show a lot. And keep an eye out for some really cool stuff I'm going to be doing in the next coming months. Uh, I have a lot of plans uh, after I get off this show, so prepare yourselves because there's going to be hopefully an avalanche of content coming to you. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to help you guys on your filmmaking journey. So keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.